Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. I give a rat's ass about Twitter. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, it's been a week since I've talked to you. We got a little busy over the over the Friday and then the weekend, but uh, it's good to be back with you, man. It's great to be back. It was one of those weeks where every time you had free time, I was busy, and then every time I had free time, you were busy, but glad to be back, and um, we missed a week, so we've got a lot to get into. We've, we've got all the Knoll stuff, recruiting, basketball, Ferraris, Lambos, all of it. We got Ferrari dump trucking, dude. I, I can't wait to talk about that, but you're right. We have so much to get to. First, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. They do a great job. We love Chris's, and uh, if you're in Stillwater for a basketball game, be sure to swing by Chris's right next to Hideaway. So if you're eating a pizza, just walk next door. If you got a, There's always a wait at Hideaway on game night, so you'll have plenty of time to go check out Chris's. And, of course, we appreciate them sponsoring the podcast, as always. Well, let's start with the, uh, the big news item, Colby. Jim Knowles. Officially leaving to go to Ohio State. He got a huge pay raise about, what was it ultimately? Was it 2.2, 2.3? Did we uh, get a final ta- tally on that? I thought they threw it out the other day at 1.9. Let me okay. let me find the exact number, but I'm pretty sure three-year, $1.9 million per year is what they re- uh, reported, which is the highest paid assistant coach in Ohio State history. Yeah, and it's got, it's got to be the – close to the highest paid assistant in all of college football. I mean, Brent, Brent Venables was making right at about $2 million himself, and he's been the best defensive coordinator over the past decade, really. So it's, um, and I kind of touched on this Colby when we were talking about it, when it, the first news about Florida popped up with Jim Knowles, I, I kind of got the sense that the timing was kind of right for Jim to go take a huge raise. Now, a lot of the, those guys are coming back that I didn't really foresee coming back with the extra COVID year. And I and tell me if I'm crazy, Colby, but just kind of the way Mike Gundy was talking about it, it reminded me so many times of where he would say, yeah, that guy's going to play. And the guy was clearly going to be out for the rest of the year. And he would say it every week. He was kind of saying similar things with Jim Knowles. Like, yeah, we're, we're going to pay him. He, he loves it here. He, he's going to stay. We're going we're gonna to sign him up. I took that kind of as, oh, boy, I think, I think Mike's a little worried about about losing Jim and Obviously, the dollar figures made sense, but just what was kind of your reaction uh, hearing the news? Yeah, I mean, it was last week, and I'm watching all the rumors roll in. We've seen him coming in for weeks. We knew that there were going to be schools coming after Jim Knowles. He's one of the best assistants, if not the best assistant in the country. Thought he was totally robbed as far as the Broyles Award goes. Uh, just real quick, I did pull this up. Venables was the top-paid assistant at $2.5 million. Now it looks like... Uh, it looks like Jim Knowles is going to slot in at number three behind the offensive coordinator at Clemson. So to that guy last week who asked what it takes to get to the next step, that would be money. Number one and two paid assistants in the country were both at Clemson. And then the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M, Mike Elko, makes $2.1 million. And then Jim Knowles would slot in there as what will now be, without Brent Venables, the third highest paid. Well, he's number one now because all those guys have accepted head coaching jobs. Tony Elliott, the Clemson offensive coordinator, took the Virginia oh, job. Yeah. Mike Elko took the Duke head coaching job. So Jim Knowles is officially the highest paid assistant coach in the country. Did OU pay Lebby too? Yes. So he's right there as well. I I think Lebby might be just slightly ahead, actually, now that you mention it. Okay, because I was thinking that Lebby might be slightly ahead. But anyway, that's he's one of the highest paid assistants in the country. So the rumors are rolling in. And as they rolled in, Carson, you know, we saw like Florida, Billy Napier was going to come after him. Weirdly, that never scared me. I just never saw him going to Florida. He's from Pennsylvania. I thought, look, if he's going somewhere, he's going to coach Big Ten football, and I don't know that he's going to coach Big Ten football. So I was kind of resting at ease. And then the Ohio State rumor started swirling. And as soon as I saw an Ohio State rumor early in the day, it, my, my stomach just kind of turned because I knew that if Ohio State wants him, Ohio State's getting him. He's from that part of the country it's, it's a different level of football. Oklahoma State has done a great job making itself one of the best programs in the country. But there are still tears 
when it comes to college football. And Ohio State is absolutely in tier number one. And Oklahoma State isn't. Oklahoma State's in that next tier down of those teams that are, are really good programs and do the absolute most bang for their buck because they don't spend as much money. They can't spend as much money as some of the schools in tier one. Don't get the recruiting classes that some of those schools in tier one gets. Oklahoma State has done an amazing job of making itself a tier two program in college football, but there's still a big gap from the haves and the have-nots in college football. And when Ohio State calls, you answer. I mean, even if the money was a wash, and, and it was, and Oklahoma State couldn't offer 1.9, and I get it. It's, it's really easy for us to all sit here and spend other people's money. That's, that's what we do in sports, right? We always do this whenever we're talking about players or coaches or whatever the case may be. It's very easy to spend other people's money. The reality is Oklahoma State can't afford what Ohio State can afford, and even if the money's a wash, Ohio State's a better job. I mean, I, I bleed orange, but we've got to be realistic with ourselves. If you just ask yourself, what's a better job, defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State or defensive coordinator at Ohio State, there's no question it's the defensive coordinator at Ohio State. You're coaching nothing but NFL guys. And just like Oklahoma State was a springboard for him to get the D.C. job at Ohio State, Ohio State could be a springboard for him to get a a head coaching job somewhere or for him to go to the NFL and, and coordinate a defense if he has that aspiration. I am sad to see him go, but I'm happy for Jim Knowles. I'm not surprised that it happened. Look, we've talked about this, Carson. You're better off replacing elite coordinators every three to four years than you are hiring somebody who's not going to do a great job. So if you lose an elite coordinator, there's a reason. It's because you had a lot of success with him. Oklahoma State had a lot of success with Jim Knowles. Yeah, and all the things you stated, like being Ohio State, being a blue blood, like all of that to me is is – is obviously true and makes it even that more more enticing, but you're, you're offering the guy a million dollars more per year. Uh, there's not much to even really sell the guy on that point. And then you get to the point that it's Ohio state, you know, one of the, I think the top top three job in the country. So I, I think you're totally right about that. I do think it's an adjustment though, for Jim going from Cornell and Duke to Oklahoma state to Ohio state where he's still going to coordinate defenses. I understand, but he's going to be trying to recruit, a totally different level of recruit that needs a totally different level of attention. I'm curious how that plays out for him, but obviously this is why you hire good coaches. You don't worry about them leaving. If they do this good of a job to where they're going to get a $2 million a year contract, you tip your cap, you wish him well, and you go hire the next guy. It's when you start hiring people you think will stay that gets you into trouble. So my hope is that Mike Gundy goes out and hires who he thinks is the best defensive coordinator he can hire, not just anyone who thinks he'll stay, because I think that's when you start getting in, in, into trouble. But um, speaking of Mike, I mean, what do you think he's going to do with this this coordinator hire? Because he had some interesting quotes today to uh, the, the media. He had a press conference. Uh, one from Marshall Scott tweeted this out from Pistols Firing. He says, what Gundy is looking for in Oklahoma State's next D.C.? One, smart. Two, hardworking. Three, loyal. He said they don't even have to be a defensive coach. What do you make of that quote, Colby Powell? Yeah, that's just that's just Gundy talking. And Gundy talks, you know, it's just kind of <laughs> is what it is. And you just kind of take it all with a grain of salt. I fully expect this to be a totally off-the-radar hire. It's We've seen Mike Gundy do this. The, the most famous one is Mike Yersich. He goes to D3 Shippensburg and pulls Mike Yersich. Even when he hired Jim Knowles, he goes to Duke and pulls Jim Knowles, and that wasn't a name that anybody had tossed around. It, it's about Gleason? Um, Gleason, yeah. I mean, Gleason came out of nowhere. People forget he exists. He was only here one year. Uh, where did he come from? Uh, great question. Did I'm he not- come from Rutgers? He went back to Rutgers. He came from Princeton. That's right. He did come from Princeton. Good call. No, I'm not actually sure that Sean Gleason was a real person. I think well, Sean Gleason. I was calling him Michael Gleason. Is that an actor? I'm. I went full full olds on that one. <laughs> I'm not even sure he was a real person. I think it could have been a hologram that was calling plays for off for offense for Oklahoma State for a year. Um, there is a guy right now, and this is going to sound weird, at Houston Baptist, and a listener turned me on to this. Matt Trulove, I appreciate you hitting me up. Shane. Um, it's spelled E-A-C-H-U-S. I'm going to say Itchus, Shane Itchus down at Houston Baptist. And the reason he's a name to watch, he left Oklahoma State to take the defensive coordinator job at Houston Baptist. Guess who he was underneath 
at Oklahoma State. He was Jim Knowles' right-hand man at Oklahoma State, and then he went to Houston Baptist to be the defensive coordinator. So that's a name that I think could pop up if you're looking for something totally off the radar. If you see Oklahoma State hires Houston Baptist defensive coordinator, there's a reason. He was the right-hand man under Jim Knowles before he left to head to Houston Baptist. If it's not him, I mean, I I think Gundy's going to go out and try to find somebody who's aggressive the way Knowles was aggressive. But I think it could be totally off the radar, something that we are not even, you know, people are throwing out Gary Patterson and stuff like that. I don't think it's a big name. I think it's very much a Mike Yersich or Jim Knowles type hire where there's just somebody out there doing something that Gundy likes. He finds them, tracks them down, and brings them to Oklahoma State and hopes for the best. But, um, yeah, Carson, I mean, if you're a school like Oklahoma State, replacing every th- a coordinator every three years, it's a badge of honor because that means those coordinators are kicking ass and taking names if, if they're getting new jobs every three years. So, I mean, I hope they go get a defensive coordinator who lights the world on fire for three or four years, and then Alabama hires him. That means that you had three or four unbelievable years on that side of the ball. Sign me up and then go get the next guy that everybody's going to want in three or four years. It's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And this idea that coordinators are just supposed to stay somewhere for a decade, for two decades, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen at any level. The only guy who did it for an extended period of time, a decade plus, was Brent Venables. And that's because he was waiting for a big time head coaching job to come along. And it finally did. And he finally left. It's just, it's not realistic to think that a coordinator is going to be great and stay at your program for a decade. It's just not how it works. So I hope they get the next hot commodity that everybody's going to want in three or four years. I totally agree. Uh, It's not Mike's style to go hire a big name. And I, I love the idea that, that True Love gave you about the Houston Baptist coach. I mean, to me, he needs to model what happened when he hired Dana Holgerson, who actually was kind of a big name OC hire. Really the only time he's, he's really done that. Usually it's been off the radar hires. You've mentioned Todd Munkin was completely off the radar. And I think he needs to model it kind of how what Dana was there, what, one year? Yeah, he was there one year. And the next, like when he brought in Munkin, they kept a lot of that offense installed. I think you do the same thing with the defense and who that is, whether that's Joe Bob Clements, who's going to get a lot of buzz to, to step up and be the defensive coordinator already on staff has been around Knowles. I love the idea of the Houston Baptist coach. That seems like a seamless transition as well, but don't you agree, Colby? I would, I would love to see them, you know, Gundy basically kept the Dana Holgerson offense based on the personnel he had coming back and just kept it rolling. I think and Gundy even spoke about this in his press conference today. He said, we're not going to skip a beat. Now, I think they'll skip a beat next year without Jim Knowles. But I think what he means by that is just keep everything rolling, keep everything installed, and don't don't rock the boat too much with this hire. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I, Man, I really don't think Gundy's going to promote from within. And I, I, think, I think the reason why is Casey Dunn. Mike Gundy just promoted from within. And if we're being honest with ourselves, is anyone giving Casey Dunn's first two years as offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State higher than a, a C plus? I don't no. think so. And that's not fair to Joe Bob Clements, but the world that we live in, these are human beings making this, these decisions. If you just hired from within and you've got an offense that is struggling and you just come off a Big 12 championship game, a monumental game in the history of your program where you cannot move the ball one yard and you're just trying the same thing over and over again and beating your head against a wall, and then you think to yourself, should I promote from within on the other side of the ball too? I think the answer is probably no, and I think that that recency bias and the fact that Casey Dunn has been fine, but he certainly hasn't been a home run, I think that that could hurt somebody like Joe Bob Clemens because I I think, again, it's just – it's human nature to say, well, I just promoted from within, and this is statistically the worst offense we've had in a decade. Do I really want to promote from within again? I, I don't know that I want to go that route. So I would be somewhat surprised, Carson, if they promoted from within. Would you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's totally not fair, like you said, to, you know, it's, it's a not. totally different coach, totally different side of the football. But I I do agree that the, the timing might not be in Joe Bob's favor with how the offense has been run bringing Casey Dunn back again, someone you didn't want to leave by upsetting him by not promoting him. And so do you lose a Joe Bob Clements if you don't promote him? But I, I do know this, Mike Gundy has said he doesn't know who's going to coordinate the defense in the bowl game. It's not going to be Jim Knowles, even though he won't start until January 2nd. 
I think Joe Bob's going to be the guy who gets to do it, and that'll be a, an interesting showcase for him, a chance to, you know, in, in the weeks leading or the days leading up to the game. I guess Mike said he's going to decide the day they land at the bowl game when when uh, he's going to decide who calls the defensive plays. But I do think Joe Bob's going to get an audition, if nothing else. Yeah, I think he will too. And, I mean, here's my thing. If you're auditioning, you're not, audition, you're not auditioning by playing it conservative. Well, let's say I don't remember the Titans – we will blitz all night. Game starts at noon. So they won't blitz all night, but they might blitz all afternoon. It just go after them. That's my whole thing is, and that's why I love Jim Knowles and the, the whole mad scientist aspect of it. I mean, Jim Knowles, just every snap, th- there's not a down that exists in the world. If there were 14 downs in football, Jim Knowles could blitz on any one of them. There are not predictable blitzing situations with Jim Knowles. You just never know when seven guys are coming and you've only got five guys in formation to block. And that's part of what made him so successful. Obviously, the personnel and the player development was unreal. But the fact that no quarterback could ever get comfortable against Oklahoma State, that's how defenses start getting shredded. You start letting a quarterback get comfortable and get into a rhythm. Nobody got comfortable against Oklahoma State. Nobody got into a rhythm against Oklahoma State. So whether it's Joe Bob Clements in the bowl game trying out, whether it's the next guy who comes in, if they go down to Houston Baptist uh, and get Shane, if they pull somebody else, some no-name that we've never heard of, I just want it to be an aggressive defensive coordinator. Gone are the days of just rushing four, dropping seven on every single snap and hoping you win. Those days are gone. Jim Knowles has changed things, and he's really changed the bar at Oklahoma State for what defense can be. And the expectations for the next defensive coordinator will be very high. I'll say this. It is a big-time job to fill the shoes of Jim Knowles because everyone will expect that defense to not miss a beat and following the guy who did it better than anyone's ever done it in school history that's going to be tough so whoever does end up taking that job has major shoes to fill and will be under a ton of scrutiny if things don't go well which is what we said when Dana Holgerson left when Todd Munkin left and we're so used to saying that on the offensive side but you're right, Colby. They don't lead the nation in sacks next year. They'll be like, oh, my gosh, this is too conservative on defense. What is going on? But I want everyone who listens to this podcast to listen up right now. You know, people think that I'm overly critical on Mike Gundy. If you're one of those people, listen up right now. I don't care who Mike hires. He has earned the benefit of the doubt with coaching hires. You just go all the way down the list of offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators. And I think Mike has earned the right to hire whoever the hell he wants. And it's going to be, I think you're right. I think it's going to be somebody we haven't really heard of or was on the radar. And the fact Mike Gundy has so many coaches that he's had leave and get head coaching jobs is a testament to his knowledge of the game, his knowledge of what it takes to be a good coach at this level. And I think Mike Gundy's, probably the best coach in the country at, at replacing coaches because he had to do it a more than anybody. And I think what seven former assistants have gotten head coaching jobs. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable what he's done hiring guys. So if it's somebody we haven't heard of like a Jim Knowles from Duke, don't, don't get overly critical because most of the time I would say about 95% of the time it's worked out really well. And so I think that's, that's become one of Mike's greatest strengths, in my opinion, is is hiring coaches. Because as as that email that got sent out on his supposedly his behalf to the University of Florida, which I want to talk to you about, d- detailing all of his success and all the coaches he's had that's moved on to head coaching jobs, I think that's something that I think should be comforting to everyone listening and everyone that follows OSU is that Mike's going to hire a good coach. I don't I don't have any doubt about that. Yeah, and the thing is, you can't get caught up in the process because. If Mike comes out and says that he hires a guy because he saw some clips on YouTube and he really liked what the guy was doing, ordinarily, you would hear that and you would think, are are we really doing this? We're really hiring a guy because we like some YouTube clips. That's what he did with Yersich, and Yersich was awesome. I don't care what anybody says about Yersich. Yersich was awesome, and those offenses were electric. And he found him on YouTube in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. Don't get caught up in the process. Like you said, I cannot guarantee you that whoever Mike Gundy hires as a defensive coordinator is going to be a home run. But just like you said, Carson, he has earned the benefit of the doubt through making good hire after good hire. It's just, 
it's a whole bunch of guys that you've never heard of or vaguely heard of, and they come into Oklahoma State and they do a great job, uh, and it's always been on the offensive side of the ball, and now Jim Knowles has set the standard, hey, you can do that on the other side of the ball too. So I fully expect whoever comes in to have success, I just hope the fans, the, the fan base as a whole, has the patience to realize, I mean, the guy might not be Jim Knowles day one. Might not be what should have been the Broyles Award winner day one. Have a little patience. I mean, Jim no- 2018 Jim Knowles was not the same as 2021 Jim Knowles. He, he got better. He developed talent. He, he instilled his defense. He knew what he wanted to do. So patience might be required, and patience is going to be tough coming off the best defensive season in school history. But like you said, Mike deserves the benefit of the doubt when making this hire. I agree, and so we'll have to wait and see. It, it'll probably be someone he found on Wikipedia and – I guarantee you he's he's done more research than that because this guy's his, his track record's better than just about anybody's. It's like when people pick apart Sam Presti's draft record and then you tell them, well, here's his hit percentage versus literally everyone else, and it's just night and day. So trust the process. I, I trust Mike Gundy will hire a good coach. Did, did you see this email that got sent out on supposedly Mike Gundy's behalf to the University of Florida? I didn't see the email itself, but I heard about it. It just it seemed really goofy, didn't it? It seems, yes, it's really goofy. One, this is not how this works. Like agents don't send emails that, which essentially, Colby, this essentially is a press release, just detailing how great Mike Gundy is as at coaching football, which one that doesn't happen because it becomes public record. And that's not how these agent dealings with schools work. And Two, Mike has said time and time again, he doesn't even have an agent. And if he did, this would not be the process. So I thought the whole thing was really weird. Like, did, let's just assume this guy had no contact with Mike Gundy. I mean, what is he, what's the end game here? He, he gets a, an email reply back from Florida saying, we want to talk to Mike. And he just calls the OSU office or somehow gets Mike's contact and says, Hey, I've arranged a meeting with you in Florida. Do I get a cut of your contract? Like, the whole thing is strange to me, but the big red flag here was that he just emailed Florida a, a press release, essentially. Yeah, I, the whole thing seems weird and doesn't really seem too legitimate. I mean, Florida really narrowed in on Billy Napier from the start, from all the reporting that we saw. Also, it, it seems like, you know, in the 2014 season when all the Tennessee rumors swirled up, you know, the team was five and six going into the OU game. If Bob doesn't punt twice, then Mike Gundy might move on after that game and and we might be having a totally different conversation about a totally different head coach right now fortunately that didn't happen Mike Gundy stayed and has had a ton of success since then but that seemed real because at that time Oklahoma State was sputtering a little bit as a program also Mike Gundy didn't seem really happy as a head coach back then you remember I mean the press conferences he just I mean he, he seemed like he was just turning into a grumpy old man and you know you don't get that feeling right now things seem pretty good at Oklahoma State. His relationship with new AD Chad Weiberg uh, seems really good. With new school president Dr. Schrum seems really good. He's winning a bunch. He's happy. The The fan base uh, is in love with him right now. It's, you know, you, you kind of went through the, the period last summer where the fan base was split a little bit and there was a lot of political stuff involved with that. But, I mean, now you get back to it and he's been nothing but great for the last 18 months at Oklahoma State. It just doesn't seem real to me that that email was from Mike Gundy and he denied it. He said he doesn't check anything on Twitter and he's not aware of any email. And I I think I believe him, Carson, because it just doesn't make any sense to me that at this point in time, he'd be trying to leave Oklahoma State for Florida, which really has been a train wreck since, really probably since Urban Meyer left. There is a a connection here. This agent's name is Devin Bonick, B-O-N-I-K. He played linebacker for Jimmy Johnson at Oklahoma State where, you know, I'm, I'm sure he, he knows Mike and may have come across him several times in, in dealings, but like Mike's no stranger to this game, right? How many times have we, we seen his name floated out? You've, you've mentioned it, the, the Baylor job recently, the Tennessee job twice. Like Mike knows how this works. He's not, he's not having some agent email a press release to Florida. Like he, he can pick up the phone himself if he doesn't have an agent or let his agent do the talking or hire a lawyer to do it to where there's attorney client privilege. Like it, it's clear to me, this is nonsense, but I, my eyebrows did raise a little bit now that I've done a little research here on Devin Bonnick. Has he, he played at Oklahoma state and uh, just 
I'm with you. I mean, the whole thing seems fishy. And if Gundy was going to leave, he would have done it by now. And it's it's clear with his his getting reinstated of his lifetime contract that rolls over. He's not going anywhere. He's going to retire at OSU. His son his son's there at quarterback now. So it, it was just kind of a strange story that that popped up and and all of those things. But I did want to address it. But uh, finally, two defensive players, Rocco Mistake getting their due. Colby, you know, I think. I think Malcolm Rodriguez has been completely hosed this entire award season. It's unbelievable to me, uh, but he he was recognized as an All American, as was uh, Colby Harville Peel. So at least they're they're getting on some uh, All American teams, which is well deserved. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. Rodriguez, let's see, uh, yeah, both on the AP All American team, um, second team AP All American for Malcolm Rodriguez, third team AP All American for Colby Harville Peel. It, it's just. It continues to be a helmet logo sport, and that's the reality. And it just, man, it sucks for schools like Oklahoma State who do so much and accomplish so much, but that helmet logo still just doesn't always stack up. And, again, there are tiers in college football, and Oklahoma State certainly is not in the bottom level of those tiers. Oklahoma State's in the second or third tier, depending on how you want to break it up in college football. But, I mean, we see it with Malcolm Rodriguez and the Butkus Award not becoming a finalist even. It's not even they didn't win the award. He wasn't even a finalist. And then we see Jim Knowles last week not win the Royals Award. Who wins it? The offensive coordinator at Michigan. It's, I mean, good grief. You take Ugh. a I mean, you take a Big Ten school and you throw a couple of forward passes and you're the Broyles Award winner. It's just the lack of respect that Oklahoma State gets nationally continues to be astounding. And Malcolm Rodriguez, second team, I know. There's guys at Georgia, there's guys at Michigan, there's guys doing all this other stuff. You could certainly make an argument for him to be first team. But I'm glad that these guys at least got some recognition because the lack of helmet logo is just people still look at Oklahoma State and they look at the 2016 team that was outscoring people 49 to 47, and this national narrative that Oklahoma State can't play defense and that this was just kind of a one-off magical year where everything went right, it just doesn't hold up to what we've been watching for the past few years. But nationally, you know, not a ton of people, not a ton of these writers nationally in the Big Ten and the SEC and the Pac-12 not a ton of these guys are watching Oklahoma State football. And until Oklahoma State continues to string together 10, 11, 12 win seasons, then you're going to, to fight an uphill battle with some of these award stuff because it's heavily based on helmet logos. So hopefully Oklahoma State can string a couple of these high-level seasons together and start getting the respect that they deserve nationally. Imagine giving the Broyles Award to Michigan's offensive coordinator. Oh, I, 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 I wanted to puke when I saw it, Carson. I, I really did. You want to say Dan Lanning from Georgia? Okay. You know, they were the best defense statistically in like the last decade. Okay. I can accept that. You know, they got NFL dudes running around everywhere and he, he coached them up. But the offensive coordinator at Michigan? What? What? They, 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 they throw a few screen passes to their tight end against Iowa. And that's, that's some kind of revolution that this guy's uh, just, it's, it's almost hilarious when you just look at it at a surface level. I mean, seriously, Oklahoma State ranked first nationally in sacks and tackles for loss. They also ranked second and third down conversion percentage, and they were third in total defense. And we're sitting here talking about the Michigan offensive coordinator. Like, like they were just lighting it up like, like, like OU under Lincoln with Kyler Murray scoring, you know, 50 points a game or some nonsense. Get out of here with that. But – that aside, Rodriguez is the first linebacker at Oklahoma State to be an All-American since what year, Colby? What year would you guess? What year for a linebacker? Yep. Um, man, we're not going all the way back to Leslie O'Neill, are we? Surely there's one between now and then. We're not born yet, and I was not born yet. Was it Leslie O'Neill? Uh, no. Okay. Who was it? I, I think I, Leslie might have played D end. Um, was he D end? Which he had to have because he's not on this list. Um, okay. okay. Yeah, I, no, no, you're right. You're right. Leslie O'Neill was a defensive end. 1981. He joins Ricky Young in 1981 as Malcolm Rodriguez, John Corker in 1978, and Cleveland Van in 1973. Uh, they're the only linebackers in OSU's history to earn All-America honors. So that's that's the level of company Malcolm Rodriguez joined. And I'm totally with you. Like, 
the idea that, and that's what really bothers me though, Colby, you mentioned it's helmet logo and I totally agree, but then you got like this Wyoming linebacker who's on like a, a 500 football team from Wyoming is a, is a uh, finalist for the award. It just, it's, it, it's aggravating and it's triggering because it's just so inaccurate. And I just, I don't, I don't understand it. I really don't. Yeah. Big fish, small pond. I mean, that's what the kid in Wyoming is. He's a big fish in a small pond. He racked up a ton of tackles at Wyoming against vastly inferior competition. And he makes it in there. I just, Malcolm Rodriguez did not get the respect he deserved and the credit that he was due for the season that he had, because it was historically great. Yeah. And like, I'm all for like, and I would certainly understand if Rodriguez had, you know, like, this absurd tackle total and OSU was, was six and six and didn't have a good defense. Okay. Well then you, you ignore that. Cause he's not, you know, you know, he's just racking up a bunch of tackles on a team that gives up a lot of big plays, but I just read off all the team stats and it's just typically these are team awards and OSU for some reason, despite having clearly one of the best defenses in the country, if not the behind Georgia, they just, they weren't rewarded for it. And to me, that's, that's, that's terrible. And people that vote on these awards are just, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're thinking, but um, we did get some Twitter questions, but first I do want to get into bedlam wrestling, wrestling, as my dad likes to call it. OSU mops the floor with Oklahoma. No surprise there. 31 to three. Uh, I didn't get to watch Colby. I don't know if you did, but I did see a tweet from Marshall Scott saying Dayton fix pinned a dude with his own leg at some point or pinned a dude with his own leg. At some point, and then of course the 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 headline event was the post game handshake line where AJ Ferrari gets in a skirmish and just double legs a dude, puts him on his back for an extra two bonus points that don't go on the scoreboard. Yeah, it uh, it was just pure domination again from Oklahoma State in Bedlam, just like it is every year. Oklahoma State, uh, pardon me, Oklahoma has not won a duel since 2013, and I don't see them winning anything anytime soon and it wasn't just a win it was dominant 31 to 3 the bedlam series now all sports is 9 to 2 in favor of oklahoma state this year it's you you almost strike up strike up the conversation carson is it even a rivalry is it even a rivalry whenever it's just so lopsided in one school's favor as it has been for years whenever you consider all sports but the fireworks did not start until the handshake line after the duel carson it was one of the more odd things. First off, handshake lines at that level, I'm probably out on. With kids, I get it. With grown men who, who just beat on each other for two hours, I don't totally understand the handshake line. But uh, handshakes turned into something else on the mats yesterday. Yeah, like I didn't really see what started it for, per se from the video, but Ferrari finished it. And I thought it was telling that no – None of the OU teammates really came to the dude's defense either. It was just kind of like, uh, you got put on your back, and uh, Ferrari kind of exited the situation after that. So it was uh, – imagine Colby thinking it's a good idea to pick a fight with A.J. Ferrari. It's it's absolute insanity, and, you know, there was, some po- there was a post today on Facebook about this Heinzelman kid down at OU, and I guess last summer there was an incident where he, he shoved some kid and smacked him on the back of the head, kid that was like 130 pounds lighter than he was as a heavyweight, and then A.J. Ferrari's about 50 pounds lighter than he is. But the thing that struck me from that video, and, and you alluded to it, is, you know, he shoves A.J. Ferrari. He wants to mix it up a little bit. None of his teammates come to his defense. And there are five Oklahoma State Cowboys standing there like, if we're doing this, we are doing this. And A.J. Ferrari gets low, picks him up, puts him down. With the look on his face, he's hollering out to some old dude in a suit to help him out and get him out of there. It's like, no, 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 you started this. Oklahoma State did not start it. He started it. And to me, the weakest thing in the world is somebody like trying to start a fight, knowing full well that there are a whole bunch of people there who will stop it so that nothing will actually happen. It's just... That's that's fake tough guy stuff. And here I am at 140 pounds calling some 280-pound OU heavyweight a fake tough guy. But that just screams fake tough guy whenever you're shoving A.J. Ferrari in the line, knowing that even if he picks you up and puts you on your back, that somebody's going to be there to stop it. Uh, but it certainly wasn't any of his teammates. It was all the Oklahoma State people saying, let's not let this ex- escalate. It was just... It was very weird, and, and I found it very fake tough guy from, from the OU kid. Well, apparently the kid that he smacked at that duel that was posted on Twitter, the old video, was Anthony Ferrari, 
you know, AJ's younger right. brother. That's right. This yeah. is a, this is like a Godfather situation. You don't ever take sides against the Ferrari family and live to tell about it. And he found out the hard way. So that was, that was great stuff. Um, let's get to Twitter questions, shall we? Uh, first steps from, uh, let's just keep on the topic of AJ Ferrari. Um, let me find the question here. Okay. It says it's from Sam Tomlinson. He says, I saw, he's not a big fan of this. Sam Tomlinson is not a big fan of WWE. Apparently he says, I saw Ferrari signed an NIL deal with WWE or one of the other fake wrestling leagues. What's the chances he goes to UFC when he's done at OSU versus fake wrestling? Uh, what say you? And then I'll get my answer. Yeah, I think first, I think calling it fake wrestling is wrestling is a little bit derogatory. I mean, everybody knows that they're not competing in actual matches. It's for entertainment. And those people put on great shows and make a bunch of money. And AJ Ferrari is absolutely a showman. So I could see him going there, but I could also see him wanting to actually fight. And that would be UFC. So <laughs> I would say, I would guess that AJ Ferrari will have a stint in the UFC and then make his way to WWE because he's just such an entertainer, Carson, that even if he wants to fight and do the UFC stuff, I mean, he could make a bunch of money as a big time headline name. I mean, the Ferrari in WWE, just ripping his shirt off everywhere, taunting everybody. It's just, he would be an incredible showman in the WWE. Doesn't even need a stage name. Like he's AJ Ferrari. It, like, I mean, his last name is Ferrari. It's it's perfect. It's tailor made. He literally drives a Ferrari out on the the opening ramp to come to the ring. Like it's 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 simple. It's easy. And and my answer is he does both. Like Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar was a WWE superstar while fighting in the UFC. Won the heavyweight title in the UFC and still went back to wrestling and kind of kind of did both and parlayed that into more money. So I could see him totally doing that. And I think for people who think that. And now, I, I do think he will want to do UFC because he's very good friends with Jorge Masvidal, who's you know one of the more popular names in the UFC. I will say this, though, Colby, you can make you can it, people don't view it this way, but like you can make more money in WWE than you can UFC. I mean, the UFC doesn't have they don't have a union. Uh, the, the, the fighters in the UFC have been complaining for years that they were underpaid. So I could totally see him going the WWE route at first and just get in the bag and just collecting as much loot as he wants, then going perhaps to the UFC to, to make more and, and get that competitive edge that, you know, a guy of his caliber, you know, he's literally a world-class athlete. You know, he, he beat a guy that won a gold medal. That's, that's the level of, of athlete he is. I think he's ultimately going to want to test his skills against the best in, in a real competitive format too. So I, I say both. Why not both? Yeah, I agree. I say both. Let's uh, go to this question that we got from Dr. Stoltz on Twitter. He said, and this one caught me off guard. I, I did a double take when I read it earlier. He says, who would you pick between Gary Patterson and Ed Orgeron for DC? Also, do you think there's a remote chance either of them become the new DC? I would say the chances that Ed Orgeron become the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State are less than zero because zero is too high. Zero weird stuff can happen. But I think there's a negative chance that Ed Orgeron becomes the DC, and he's a skeevy creepo anyway, so I'm out on Ed Orgeron. Gary Patterson and Mike Gundy are friends, so I could see there being an avenue to that, but I still don't know that Gary Patterson wants to go from being the greatest head coach in TCU history to being the defensive coordinator up the road in conference. It still just seems like a weird fit to me, so uh, the chances are definitely higher than zero on Gary Patterson, but I would still chalk it up as unlikely. What say you, Carson? I say 0% chance on both. I mean, okay. one, Gary Patterson's not going to go be defensive coordinator after being a head coach this long. I know him and Gundy have a great relationship, all that, but come on. Like, he could go be the defense coordinator at Ohio State or school like that that Jim Knowles just left to as well. But no, I just, I don't see that as a fit at all. And that's, that's just not Gundy's style to hire someone that would come in all, all likelihood one year and they already have a big name built up and if they do well, they're gone. That's just not what he's, he's going to do at all. So uh, how about this question from Ryan flash polar? He goes by flash. He says, I know this is morbid and it is, but where does the big 12 championship loss rank among your other top five OSU sports heartbreaks? Uh, you don't have to go five Colby. If you don't want to, if it's too much heartbreak for you. Um, I can go off the top of my head. I can go four. 
and this particular Big 12 championship game against Baylor would be at four. Now, there's probably something that I'm missing here, but this Big 12 championship game against Baylor would be four. Number three would be the 2017 Bedlam game where James Washington goes out in the fourth quarter. Mason Rudolph overthrows Tyron Johnson. Uh, Justice Hill does not get a carry on the final drive of the game. That was beyond heartbreaking. You had the Abdul Adams fumble scoop and score in the first quarter that wasn't, got overturned on replay. That was brutally heartbreaking. 2013 Bedlam, I think I would throw up as number two because Oklahoma State was so much better than OU that year, and everything just went so wrong in that game. Also, I sat out there for hours in the zero-degree temperature waiting to get in the stadium, sat there for more hours in the snow and the cold and the misery, and just had my heart ripped out of my chest at Boone Pickens Stadium that day. Number one for me, Carson, is not football. It is not football. Any guesses? Will effing Bynum. Will effing Bynum. Carson, I was 11 years old, and the pain as an 11-year-old as Oklahoma State scores, and then Will Bynum goes coast to coast. The the hairs on my arms are standing up right now on the back of my neck. I'm getting chills thinking about it. It was so heartbreaking and so devastating because I really thought as an 11 year old kid, that I was going to watch my basketball team win a national championship and will Bynum went full will Bynum coast to coast. And it, I think it was the range of emotions because Oklahoma state scored on the other end. And then four seconds later, will Bynum scored and the game was over. So it was ultimate elation followed by ultimate devastation in a span of five seconds and it is something that i will never get over that's number one for me that's a great list (laughs) it really is uh i'll go can i go one through five as i talk it out yeah fire away i was just kind of thinking i was talking so you do the same number one for me still iowa state 2011 i just iowa state 2011 i knew i was forgetting something obvious that's number two ahead of the two bedlam games iowa state 2011 yes thank you now your list is complete. <laughs> I'm going that one, man, just because I'm I will go to my grave believing that team was the best team in the country, and they would have they would have beaten LSU in the national title game, and it just it culminated with a Friday night game on a on a weird night on a tragic night dealing with the the loss of Kurt Bucky and Randa Serna, and just a fluky game where LSU gets way ahead and then. The wheels fall off and they lose and just uh, that that was just and then they they Iowa State who couldn't play dead that year just they stormed the field and Paul Rhodes does this silly little speech oh just it it hurt really bad that that's that's definitely number one for me number two is Will Bynum I mean the irony though Colby Will Bynum I think was committed to OSU at one point and Kelvin Sampson talked him out of it and now they ended up getting John Lucas which that clearly worked out you know, big 12 player of the year, co-big 12 player of the year with Tony Allen. But just the irony that he was from Chicago, friends with Tony Allen, he ends up being the guy that that ends. Again, I thought that team was was going to win it all that year. I know UConn was loaded. They had NBA dudes everywhere. I still would have liked to see it. And that was, uh, I probably took that one harder because I was younger. I was still in college at the time. And I, I went to just about every game that year and sat on the floor and was living and dying with that that final four team. So that's that's a clear number two for me. Number three is 2013, and the football game where, obviously, we all know what happened, Blake Bell and Justin Gilbert. I mean, OSU should have won their second Big 12 championship, and OU was kind of reeling at that point. That was the first time they were kind of reeling under Bob Stoops, and they ended up having a bad year the next year and having to fire a bunch of coaches. But OU wins that game somehow on a punt return touchdown, a fake field goal touchdown, and they go on to beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl and they, they get Joe Mixon and the recruiting picks up right after all that happened. So it kind of started a chain of events where, you know, we all kind of thought 2011 would lead to this shift a little bit in power. Not that OU was going to ever be dethroned, but it, we thought it would lead to a little bit of a shift. And I thought that one game swung it back in their favor. And that, that to me adds an extra layer to me to the, the level of devastation. Um, number Number, th- uh, what am I on? Four? Uh, four, yeah. You went 2011. Four's big, t- big 12 title game. I mean, we, we've we already done an hour and a half podcast on it. It was devastating. 
the playoff was right there. I would have loved to put Jim Harbaugh's head on a spike and the Big Ten's head on a spike, but we don't get that chance. And that one was pretty devastating. Number five is a very, very, very underrated game in the history of heartbreak for Oklahoma State. And it's not football. It's basketball. It's the I was in attendance with my dad. The very last game of old Gallagher Iba Arena, OSU lost to Kelvin Sampson and Ernie Abercrombie and one of the more unlikable OU teams in history. It was the last game for Desmond Mason, Doug Gottlieb in that arena, the team that I really had probably the most connection to because I was of the age where sports matter way more than they should. And I just, the Desmond Doug team, still my all time favorite team. And to lose that game to OU, the last time ever taking the floor in Old Gallagher was awful and an underrated heartbreak game for OSU. Yeah, that's one that probably, like you said, doesn't get enough credit for the heartbreak that it brought to Oklahoma State fans. It, uh, man, last game in Old Gallagher and you lose to those guys. It's just, you hate losing to the team down south anytime, Carson. Those are good lists, though. Those are really good lists. It's when we got that question earlier, I hate loved that question because you hate reliving the heartbreak, but as Oklahoma state fans, that's kind of what bonds us, isn't it? Is all the heartbreak. So uh, we got a good question from Brian Metcalf too, Carson. If you could only get one of the senior transfers back for next year, who would you take Holmes, Martin, Warren Sills, or Godlevsky? You want to go first? I'll go first. That's a good one. You know, my first instinct was to scream Warren at the top of my lungs, J1 Warren. And I still think that's my answer, but I, I do want to give uh, both Godlevsky and Martin their due. I mean, Martin was, you nailed it, Colby, preseason pod. I mean, he was the go-to kind of alpha receiver. And when he was healthy, he was about 100 yards and a touchdown every game. He averaged close to, I think, 80, 90 yards a game. So that's a good one. Godlevsky clearly was missed against Baylor, but what Warren did to transform the offense with just his overall ability himself, I mean, they're literally running zone blocking schemes where it's just like, Warren, go make a play, go, go find the seam and, and run. And he broke, you know, three or four tackles just about every run he had. So I, I think you have to go Warren here. I think I would go Warren. I, I looked at it for a second. I tried to make sure that I was doing my due diligence and not, you know, selling the other guys short, Christian Holmes, part of the best defense in school history, Sills and Godlevsky on that offensive line. Tay Martin was great on the edge, but Jalen Warren, I mean, when he was out there versus when he was not out there, it was two different offenses. And part of that's probably recency bias because we just watched that big 12 championship game, but also Carson, that big 12 championship game was a perfect illustration of why he was so important. He's, I mean, the first time you play Baylor, fourth and two, Danny Godlevsky blocks a guy, seals, Jalen Warren hits the hole and scores. And then you have the Big 12 championship game where you can't get a yard. So I, I think I would definitely go Jalen Warren. Yeah, I think it's the right answer. Uh, a lot of Spencer Sanders questions and transfer portal questions. Bo Nix entered the transfer portal. OSU versus everybody asked if Bo Nix would be an option for Oklahoma State. And what I think Bo Nix, Colby, I don't know how you feel about him. Like He played really well this year. He had 11 touchdown passes to three interceptions. He's He reminds me a lot of Spencer Sanders. You know, he's, he's mobile. He could throw on the run. He's injury prone. And in his career, he's been turnover prone. He's got uh, 16 interceptions in three years as a quarterback at Auburn. So I I don't know if there's any connections there. I, I don't even know if Mike Gundy's interested in the transfer quarterback. But for me, it's almost like you're you're acquiring a Spencer Sanders type, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, to me – I don't know. Maybe this is different. I understand he plays in the SEC, some of those defenses and stuff. I get it. I think you'd be downgrading at quarterback. I've never been a Bo Nix guy. He had a couple of big games when he was younger, and everybody was kind of sold on him. And it just seems to me like he's done nothing but regress throughout his career at Auburn. And those Auburn teams have been bad, man. Like, he can't even – I understand the last thing that we saw from Spencer Sanders was arguably the worst game of his career. He didn't play well, but he played unbelievable football for about eight to ten weeks prior to that and got Oklahoma State to that point. He was first-team All-Big 12 quarterback, so I'm not ready to throw all that out the window for one bad game and bring in a guy like Bo Nix who was on a bad Auburn team and could not find ways to score enough points to win games. It's just – I, I've never really been a Bo Nix guy and I would be out on him now. I think it would be a downgrade at quarterback. Um, I, I agree on that. And I, again, I don't, 
I think you just, and I'm the one that brought up bringing in transfer portal quarterbacks in the last show. I, th- I just kind of think they run it back with, with Sanders and Illingworth and maybe that's, maybe that's what they do. Maybe not, but I just, I would be surprised if they, they brought in a big name transfer quarterback. And part of that might depend on whether Illingworth wants to run it back. He might not. I mean, the transfer portal exists. Yeah. He, he might decide that he's not going to get the playing time. He thought he might be able to get at Oklahoma state. He maybe he thought he could win that job. Now he realizes maybe he can't, maybe he goes somewhere else. I don't know. There, there are a lot of things to be decided because as tight as this Oklahoma state team was inevitably, there will be guys on both sides of the football enter the portal because they want to go somewhere where they can play. And I, I don't totally blame those guys. So the roster might look a little different six weeks from now than it looks today. Want to hit on any more? Questions? Um, I mean, we got one asking if Jim Knowles would come back when Ryan Day takes the Bears job. I do think there's a decent chance Ryan Day takes the Bears job. No, Jim Knowles is not coming back. He's not giving back the money. No, he's not coming back. So uh, if Ryan Day does take the Bears job, though, it'll be fascinating to see who Ohio State hires because that will be another one of the absolute best jobs in college football coming open after everyone else has already filled their positions. So that will be fascinating to watch if that does happen. And I think there's a decent chance it does if Ryan Day wants to be an NFL head coach because there is so much smoke around those rumors. It's hard to believe there's not some fire. Hang on, then. I don't. I don't think that question's nonsense. If if Ryan Day leaves, they're hiring Luke Fickle in five five minutes, five seconds probably, and Luke Fickle's a defensive coach. You might not want Jim Knowles as a defensive coordinator. Jim Knowles might be out for a job now. Maybe it's. Maybe Jim, maybe they put Jim Knowles on the prices right and schools start bidding on him and trying to trying to give the price up or pay what he was gonna make at Ohio State. But I I don't think that's crazy. I mean, what if OSU comes back to Jim and says, Hey, we'll pay you 1.7, 1.6. Is that enough? Come on back. Come on back to Stillwater where you like it. I don't think that's crazy. If 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 Ryan Day does leave, I don't I don't I don't know if Luke Fickle would retain him. Maybe he would since he's a Broyles Award finalist. I think it'd be foolish not to, but they may have philosophical differences. I don't sit here and pretend like I know Luke Fickle's defensive playbook, but I I don't think that's a crazy question. I don't. I I think it's my I think it's a little crazy. Just the guys you're going to be coaching up there, the money you're going to be making, the the profile of that job. They don't want you. I, I mean, hey, crazier things have happened. If Luke Fickle comes over and he wants his own defensive coordinator, and he's like, look, I didn't pick Knowles. And I'm sure he's great, but I didn't pick him. I want my guy. Yeah, I could see it happening, but I can't see Luke Fickle not wanting him because how could you not want Jim Knowles with the stogie and the blitzing? How could you not want Jim Knowles? So maybe crazy is not the right word. I I would still put the percentages pretty low. We want to take that bet. I'd be willing to make, I'd be, I mean, I will be willing to lay a little bit of money on the line, hoping for a, a long shot. But again, I, I don't think it's happening, but I think I don't think it would be crazy. I would say to Oklahoma State fans, don't get your hopes up because you're just setting yourself up for more heartbreak. And as we discussed about five or ten minutes ago, we've had plenty of that. Absolutely. Colby, it's been fun. I guess we'll get back with you uh, later this week, but barring any uh, scheduling conflicts, any coordinators leaving leaving town. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Appreciate everybody being patient with us as we get our schedules together throughout the holiday season. As always, go Pokes!